Um, and we here at Wayside, we've been working through a series since September on the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to return to that series next week, but we're going to take one more week off and take a look at a topic that's very important, and that is the topic of singleness in the church. And I want to preach about singleness in the church for for three primary reasons. First of all, we're about to enter a section in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, where we're going to read through Paul God's design for marriage. And we're going to look at his design for the relationship between the husband and the wife. And then we're going to come back and at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul talks to us about God's design for the relationship that should exist between a child and their parents. And so we're going to deal with those. And while we feel it's important because God declares it in his word that for all people to become exposed to God's truth in regards to God's design for marriage and parenting, it is equally true that we as the church are exposed to God's truth about what he says about singleness, even though many people in here are not single. And secondly, I want to preach on singleness because we are ever increasingly a single country. I don't know if you know that, but in 2015, it was the first time on record that there are now more single adults in America than married adults. We are are increasingly a single country. Country And many sociologists recognize this cultural shift as one of the biggest, most uh, rapid societal shifts of the past 60 years, this shift towards singleness. It's at a, singleness is at an all-time high. People's average age of getting married as, is at an all-time high. And this is not something that's just happening on the east and west coast in metropolitan areas like San Francisco or Manhattan. This is happening in San Antonio, and this is happening at Wayside Chapel. Over the last few years, we have received an influx of single adults into our church family to a point where now when we gather on Sunday mornings, The largest Sunday school, the largest ABF group that meets on Sunday is our young adult singles group led by Jason Upmore. Where there's, you can, yeah. And they all sit together. Okay. And there's roughly 175 to 200 folks connected to that ministry. Sometimes 100 coming on a Sunday morning to an extent. We don't really have a lot. We don't know where to put them. We're just out of space. So this is something that's happening right here in our midst at Wayside Chapel. And so we need to talk about it. And then thirdly, I wanted to take a Sunday to really look at what does God have to say about singleness? Not what do our parents say, what does our society say, what does culture say, what do our friends say, but what does God say about singleness? Because in the end, that's what matters. That's what's important. And because I think we as a church... We as a church have lost sight of the beauty and the value that God places on singleness. And we have done so to our own detriment. And so we're going to look at it. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Or get out your phones or iPads or what have you. But head to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the text we're going to be um, unpacking for the rest of the morning. And this is one of the classic chapters in the Bible 
that teaches on marriage and divorce and remarriage and singleness. It's kind of a classic chapter in the scriptures, but we're going to focus on the aspects of singleness that Paul talks about in it. And as part of this, as we walk through this passage and some other passages connected to it, I'm going to offer up seven truths. I got seven points in my sermon today, so buckle up. We're moving. But I'm going to offer seven truths that God speaks about singleness. And in doing so, I hope to offer up a balanced and biblical view of singleness. Because it seems to have gotten distorted on both ends. And the first truth is this. Our first truth about singleness is this. Is that singleness is highly valued by God. It's highly valued by God. So just a little bit of context in the book of Corinthians where you've opened up to in chapter 7. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was an interesting place. Okay? This was the Las Vegas of its day, as we talked about in the book of Acts. This was a place of great sexual immorality. And so what happens is the gospel comes in. The gospel takes root. People start adjusting to this new paradigm, to this new worldview. And they're having a difficult time doing it. And some of them, because they had lived these lives of such promiscuity and immorality, they respond by going too far the other way. And they start preaching this gospel of abstinence saying, hey, it is more spiritual to not be sexually active. And that includes in your own marriage. And so they start saying, no sex for anybody, even those who are married. And so Paul writes back and he says, hey, time out. Let me, let, me, let me help you all out a little bit. Let me offer you some correction and some encouragement. And so this is where we find ourselves when we come to chapter 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 3, and, and this is what Paul writes. He says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. To stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this by way of concession, not of command. And then he comes to verse 7, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain as I. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on in this passage. And we're going to talk about marriage quite a bit over the next few weeks when we look at Ephesians chapter 5. But we want to lock in this morning on verses 7 and 8 here initially. Because what Paul does here is radical. This is a pretty radical thing. There was no culture at that time in the first century, that affirmed the value of singleness. That was something that was looked down upon. Singleness was not good. And Paul says, no, the single, being single and singleness is great. And he highly, highly affirms its value. And those are just shocking words in the first century. And they're words that have lost a little of their luster in our day and age. Because when you think about the modern church, the modern church pretty much structures its ministries towards children, towards marriages, and ultimately towards the family. 
And while I don't think the church does this in some malicious way, because those are all important things and part of God's design, what has been a result at times is our singles have felt like, do, are we valued in the church? And do we really matter in God's eyes? Are we as, are we as holy and as important as our counterparts who are married and who have families? And thankfully, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, I do not feel like that is the way it is here at Wayside. Now, we are not a perfect church and we can grow in this area. But I do applaud our elders and I applaud Roger for having vision of reaching singles in our city and making that a priority. I remember when I was hired in 2012 to lead the college and singles ministries And those two ministries at that time were not very big. We had some faithful people in there. We had some faithful leaders leading those ministries. But they were not ministries that really merited a full-time position, quite frankly. There were churches much larger than Wayside who had nobody specific to singles ministry. And yet we did. And I remember even sitting in Roger's office not long after I'd gotten hired... And just kind of looking him in the eye and saying, hey, Roger, you know that uh, there's really not that many people in there. I just want to make sure you know, Roger, that they're not like humming or anything. There's not that many people. And Roger kind of looked at me and said, I know. That's why we hired you. That's why we hired you. We want to make that a priority. And so I'm thankful that Wayside has put money and has put staff positions towards reaching, equipping, and igniting a strategic group in our city that is highly valued by God. It's a real blessing. And I'm thankful that our leadership has done that. And because singleness is highly valued by God, singleness is also a gift of God. Singleness is a gift. In verse 7, once again, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. In other words, some people have the gift of marriage and some people have the gift of singleness. They are both gifts from God. Both of them. And the gifts brought about by singleness, the gifts that are a result of, of being single, Paul lays out further and explains further later on the chapter. In verses 25 through 40, he really focuses in on singles, and we're going to pick up in verse 32, and this is what Paul writes. He's speaking to the singles there, he says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. His interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Hey, notice what Paul's saying here. 
He's saying singleness potentially can provide fewer distractions, which then can potentially result in greater devotion. That's what he's saying. It's not automatic. But he's saying it potentially can provide fewer distractions and thus potentially promote greater devotion to God. And Paul is not anti-marriage. Don't take this the wrong way. Paul has a very high view of marriage. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But what Paul is trying to do here is teach us something that is pretty obvious. And what he's trying to teach us is this. That having a family brings about certain commitments and sacrifices that would not be there if they did not exist. Being married and having a family brings about certain responsibilities and sacrifices that would not be there if they did not exist. Now, I know that sounds ugly. And I said that in the first service with my wife sitting right here. But that's just real talk. That's just real talk. I mean, my four favorite people in the world... My four favorite people are my wife and my three boys. It's not even close. I am completely in love with them. And when I have a day off, I want to spend time with them. So yesterday we, I had the day off and we went to Fiesta, Texas with some other families from our, from our life group. And I displayed my love by applying sunscreen upon my kids. And then I displayed my arrogance by telling Victoria, I don't need sunscreen. I coached football for seven years. I got this thing covered. And so now you're seeing my arrogance shining on my face. But I, I love my family. And they, each one of them, is a worthy, worthy investment. They are a worthy investment. But make no mistake, they are a massive investment. It is a massive investment of my time of my energy, of my focus. And anybody in here who is married or has kids, you know this to be true. And I love being married to Tori. And I love my three boys. I would not trade it for the world. But because I chose to marry Victoria, and because the Lord has given us three sons, there are things that I cannot do, that I would love to do in regards to my relationship with God and in regards to my ministry to others. And that's just a reality. I would love to go on every single one of our mission trips this year. I would love that. I would love to go around the world teaching and proclaiming the gospel. I would love to study the Bible more. And read more books on theology and have more coffee dates and lunch dates. I would love to make more hospital visits and have more opportunities to counsel. I would love to sleep. <laughs> right? I would love to be still. I would love to spend more time meditating on the Word of God and just being still before the Lord. And this is not an admission of regret or disappointment in my life. Far from it's just an honest assessment of the fact that life is about choices. And choices have consequences. And even something as wonderful and beautiful and life-giving, that it, like marriage and like having a family, 
There are responsibilities and sacrifices that come with it. And there are things you will not be able to do as a result of that. And that is just part of it. And Paul says that when you're single, the pressures and responsibilities and sacrifices that exist within those relationships, those are not things you have to worry about. And so God highly values singleness. Singleness is a gift. And yet point number three, that being said, not all is rosy in single land. Because singleness is often a burden. It's often a burden. In verse 9, after Paul talks about how he he wishes people would remain as himself, in verse 9 he says, But if they do not have self-control, let them marry For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. He says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And look, Paul is not being negative here. Paul's not saying, hey, it's spiritual to be single, but if you can't do it, then get married, loser. (laughs) It's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, man, if God has called you to singleness, that is a phenomenal thing and a phenomenal opportunity. But if he has not called you to singleness, don't don't go crazy about it. It's okay. Marriage is great. Marriage is a wonderful thing. So pursue it with all vigor. Don't worry about it. So he's, he's proclaiming the goodness and the value of both. And yet the issue is that many singles do not want to be single. Many singles do not want to be single. I mean, if I'm not very smart, but if there's one thing I learned in four years of singles ministry, it's that many singles do not want to be single. That's just a reality. And it's, and it's difficult. And whether it's an issue of a burning passion, uh, a desire for connectedness, uh, an issue of loneliness a desire to raise a family, whatever the case may be, for many, being single is devastating. It's just devastating. Because in many ways, it's the death of a dream. You grew up and you said, this is, uh, this is how my life's going to look. This is, I'm going to have a spouse, I'm going to have these kids or what have you. I mean, this is, my, this is what I'm aiming for. And then here you find yourself and all those relationships that you had envisioned are not there. They're not there. And so for many, it's the death of a dream. And in moments like that, it does not feel like you're being highly valued by God or or it doesn't feel like singleness is a gift of God. It really feels like this singleness is a punishment. Like somehow God has forgotten about you. And that's a tough deal. And and if you're in that place this morning, that place of just kind of heartache and sadness, I do want to offer you a few encouragements. And and the first of the first encouragement is that God is with you right there in the hurt. Psalm thirty four eighteen talks about how the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the brokenhearted. And he cares for you and a lack of of a spouse is not an indication that he doesn't care for you. And and I don't say this to be trite or flippant, but it may actually be an indication that he cares about you more than you know. 
It may actually be that He cares about you more than you know. And He's using your singleness to grow your faith, to grow your character, to grow your dependency upon Him, and to give you a vision of a life of being completely devoted and following Him for His glory. Because His design for your life is better than your dream for your life. His design for your life is better than your dream for your life. Secondly, if you're someone who's longing to be married, it's important to understand that marriage does not solve all your problems. It just doesn't. In some ways, it just puts a magnifying glass on them and enhances your issues. You know, it's interesting. Our culture has a really low view of marriage. We're living in a day and age, I don't know if you know this, but we're living in a day and age where marriage is at an all-time low in terms of how people feel about it. I read a recent uh, Pew Research poll where over 4 in 10 Americans think that marriage is going to be obsolete in the future. I think it will no longer have any relevance. 4 in 10. And that is, that is tragic because marriage is amazing and it's beautiful and it honors God. And that being said, that being said, I do think that some in church culture have idolized marriage and have presented a view of marriage that is too idealistic. And we've made marriage the end-all, be-all of the Christian life. That that's the aim that we're going towards. I just want to be married And that being married will somehow solve our issues and eliminate our insecurities and cover up our rough spots and remove our feelings of loneliness and inadequacy. But that was never what marriage was designed to do. Not for unbelievers and not for believers. Marriage does not solve our issues. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, is the one who solves our issues. And while God certainly can and does use marriage to bring about spiritual growth and sanctification, that's one of the great reasons for marriage. There's no doubt about that. The reality is that marriage is not the goal of the Christian life. Christ's likeness is. And that can take place through marriage. And that can take place through singleness. God can use either avenue. And this brings me to my fourth point, which is singleness does not impact one's sufficiency. We are complete in Christ. There's no such thing as a JV Christian. We are complete. We are, we are sufficient in Christ. And we are to find our identity in Christ, not first and foremost as a parent or as a spouse. Because it's not one's marital status that determines spiritual maturity. It's obedience. It's obedience. Paul talks about this in verse 17. And basically what's happening is people in Corinth have gotten married. Maybe one person's come to faith, the other's not, and they want a divorce. And so you have people who are married who want to get divorced. You have people who are unmarried who want to get married. And Paul says, time out, listen. This is what he says in verse 17. It says, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. 
And so I direct in all the churches. He's saying, I'm not just telling you this, Corinth. I'm telling all the churches this. And then later on, verse 19, he gives an example. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. In other words, if you are married, praise God. Wonderful. And be faithful to God in your marriage. Be faithful to your spouse and live unto God with total devotion and obedience. And if you are a single, praise God. And use your singleness for the glory of God and live unto God with a single-minded devotion and obedience. And if you are single and your singleness does not feel like a gift, be honest, be open, but be faithful. Be faithful. Don't short-circuit God's perfect design because you think it, you need to scratch that sexual or marital itch. Do not short-circuit God's perfect design to do that. Because in the end, I've seen it too many times, you will either water down your faith to avoid conflict, or you will live out your faith with boldness and be unable to avoid conflict. So don't short-circuit God's design because of your temporary desires. Because when God gives commands, His commands are rooted in His love. God's commands are rooted in His love. So when He says in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be bound with unbelievers, it's rooted in love. He says, for what does lawlessness have to do with righteousness? And what fellowship does light have with darkness? Stay faithful to God in the midst of the struggle. Because we are sufficient in Christ. And our identity is to be in Christ. And as such, neither marriage nor singleness is to be elevated above the other. Neither one's to be elevated. They're both great gifts from God. And not only does singleness not affect one's sufficiency, but it is not necessarily permanent. It's not necessarily permanent. Because singleness is sometimes seasonal. Singleness is sometimes seasonal. Now, one thing that may be interesting to you, and while we, I can't say this dogmatically, there is reason to believe that though the Apostle Paul is writing the letter of 1 Corinthians as a single man, there is reason to believe he was not always single. And this is not explicit in Scripture, but some of the Greek that he uses to describe himself in chapter 7, plus the fact that he was a Pharisee, which, un, which rarely was a Pharisee single, it, it, there is a possibility that Paul was actually married at some point in time earlier in his life and maybe became widowed or maybe his wife left or whatever the case may be. And then in calling him to Christ, God gave Paul the gift of celibacy and he ministered the rest of his life as a single man, saw the fruit and is calling other singles to say, hey, this is an opportunity. This is a good thing. So use it for God's glory. And so if you are somebody who has never been married, or if you are somebody who has been married, and now you're not married, because of death, 
because of divorce or whatever the case may be, Paul's encouragement to you is to use this period of singleness for the glory of God and for the sake of the kingdom, no matter how long it may last. However long it may last. It may be long, it may be short, but use it for his glory. And this is kind of how he sums up his teaching at the end of chapter 7. In verse 39, Paul writes these words. He says, A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to marry whom she wishes only in the Lord. It's got to be a believer. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. Paul says, if you are married, you are commanded to walk in obedience in that marriage. But if you become unbound, my advice is that you would consider being single. That's what he's saying. And once again, Paul is not saying it's a sin to remarry. He's not even saying it's a bad thing to remarry. For many, that's that's the thing they should do if God allows that. It's a great thing. His whole point is that there is now potential to devote oneself completely to the Lord, and that's a good thing. That's not something that should be shunned or run away from. We have a guy here in our church. He sits over here. I won't embarrass him, but I just pointed at him. But uh, his name is Bruce Stouffer. I guess you all know Bruce. And uh, Bruce lost his wife to cancer uh, roughly 60 years ago in his mid-50s. And Bruce had been married. Bruce had raised kids. And then all of a sudden, Bruce found himself not only as an empty nester, but as a widow. And the way Bruce responded was by fully devoting himself to the Lord's work and to faithfully minister to young men in their 20s and their 30s. And he has had a huge impact in our church as he has discipled a number of young men, as he has opened up his home, and he has a number of them who come and live with him. He has so many lunch meetings and coffee meetings. It's like there's four Bruce Stouffers running around San Antonio. I mean, it's impossible. But that is the gift the Lord has given him as a single man later in life. The freedom to be present and available to minister to young men and provide them with a spiritual father. It's a powerful thing. Singleness is often seasonal. And if you're in a season of singleness, don't waste it. Take it and give it to God and see how He grows you. And what you may find out is while there are certainly blessings that a single cannot experience in marriage, there are also unbelievable blessings that a single can experience because they're not married. And you may find out that God has called you towards that. Singleness is highly valued by God. It's a gift. It is often a burden. It does not affect sufficiency. It is sometimes seasonal. And it's also important to know that singles are part of a spiritual family. They are part of a spiritual family. There's an amazing text in the Gospel of Mark. I was reading it this week in, in chapter 3, and I came across it. I was like, man, I've forgotten how powerful it was. And Jesus is out teaching. It's early on in his ministry. And his family at that time has not bought in on the idea that he's the Messiah. 
They're not exactly walking by faith at this time. So Jesus is out teaching and his family comes to get him because they think he's gone crazy. And so they come to the place he's teaching and they tell one of the guys in there, get Jesus for us. And so the guy goes and tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers, they're outside looking for you. And Jesus responds by saying, who are my mother and my brothers? And then it says he looks about all the people in the room that he was teaching. And he says, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is actually articulating that there are family bonds that are even stronger and more lasting than one's earthly family bond. And that is the, fa- the bond of the family of God. He's saying that's even, that's even bigger than your earthly family. Now I think us who have families would say, please God, may I have both. Can I have family by blood and family by faith? That would be great. But we know that that is oftentimes not the case. And Jesus is not denouncing the importance of one's earthly family, but he is raising our awareness of the importance of our spiritual family. And that means you don't have to be a biological mother or father to be a spiritual parent. You don't have to be a biological dad to be a spiritual father. In 1 Peter, Peter calls Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, he says, Mark, my son. And when Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, Timothy, my true son in the faith. My true son in the faith. Now, we don't know if Paul had biological children, but what we do know is that Paul had a spiritual child, and his name was Timothy. And their bond was tighter than almost any father-son relationship I know of. Because that's what God does. See, one doesn't have to be a biological mother or father to be a spiritual parent, and one doesn't have to be a biological sister or brother to be a spiritual sibling. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister. And so singles are part of this spiritual family that is the church, the family of God. And it includes not only spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, but also spiritual sons and daughters. And it's one of the reasons I love this church. One of the reasons I love Wayside is that we are a church that is truly intergenerational. Amen? I love the fact that our church is not people all in their 30s. I also love the fact that it's not a church of people who were all born in the 30s, right? (laughs) So we have, ha, 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 right? So we have a great, a great mix of folks in our midst. And we are part of a family where each member brings value. No matter the age, no matter the gender, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the socioeconomic Status and no matter the marital status, we need one another individually to be who God has called us to be corporately. And so take time and build relationships. We do that through things like our life groups who meet during the week. We do that through ABFs. We, we have men's and women's discipleship groups that meet, all, that meet during the week. We have Bible studies that happen during the week. 
We have student ministries that you can serve in. We have children's ministries that you can serve in. And be a part of this intergenerational connection of spiritual parents and children and siblings. Because this is the one family that will have no end. It's the one family that will have no end. And this brings me to my final point this morning, to something that will have an end. And that is marriage. Marriage. Because singleness is our ultimate destiny. Now, if you read the scriptures long enough, you'll come across things that you'll go, whoa, time out. That's uncomfortable. But the scriptures were not written for your comfort. It's not why God had them written. It's to show us who he is and to to, to declare his goodness and his grace and what's to come. And when Jesus was asked about marriage, when when they tried to trick Jesus about marriage in the New Testament, in the Gospels, this is how he responded. He says, there's no marriage in eternity. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Not that they become angels, but that in the eternal state, in the new heavens and new earth, in our glorified bodies, and in, in in, in when we are in perfection, there is no need for procreation. And we will not be married. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to know who our spouse is. I don't know exactly what it means. It's hard for me to conceive an existence where Victoria is not my wife. But like anything else, we we trust and we walk by faith because God is good. And when we arrive at our final destination and the perfection that is the new heavens and the new earth, there will be such intimacy with Christ, such purity of worship, and such closeness of fellowship that even the removal of marriage will not result in a reduction of joy. Even the removal of marriage will not result in a reduction of joy. Because all relationships get their final significance from Christ. From Christ. No family relationship is ultimate. Relationship to Christ is. And that's what matters most. So I want to close this morning by reading an excerpt from from. Pastor theologian John Piper and what he says about this because I think he hits the nail on the head. Piper writes, God promises those of you who remain single in Christ blessings that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. If someone asks, well, wouldn't it be better to have both? The blessings of marriage and the blessings of heaven? Well, there are two answers to that question. One is that you will find out someday, and better to learn it now, that the blessings of being with Christ in heaven are superior to the blessings of being married and raising children. And the second answer is that marriage and singleness both present us with unique trials and unique opportunities for our sanctification. And there will be unique rewards for each. And which is greater will not depend on whether you are married or single but on how you responded to each. How you responded. Because at the end of the day, whether you are married or single, God's message is really the same. And it's to follow me. It's to follow Him. It's to daily die to oneself, pick up the cross, and follow Him no matter what context 
he has placed you in. No matter what. For he is faithful and he is loving and he is true. And we have the opportunity to respond in kind. Knowing that there's nothing that this world can give us that surpasses what is to come. Which is being with God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And God, how you are someone who, you are a God who values each and every individual. From those in the womb, all the way through. No matter the ethnicity, no matter the gender, no matter how rich they are, no matter where they're born, no matter what deficiencies they may have, God, you value them. And God, we thank you for teaching us through your word that you value singles and you value marriage. And you have called us to come together as your people, as the family of God, the church, in relationship. And God, for the singles out there today who are just hurting, I mean, they just are broken up about this and they don't go 15 minutes without thinking about their singleness. God, would you move in? Would you help them let go of some of the idols? Whether it's an idol of marriage, whether it's just an excuse to ignore their loneliness or to ignore, God, something that you're trying to do in them. Would you open them to your goodness and may you flood their heart with that? And God, for those who are married, would you help us see what a gift it is to be married? And to have a spouse. And God, would would we bring glory and honor to you in both places, whatever context we are in, in response to the fact that, God, you created us by your grace and by your love, and we responded by turning our back. God, your word says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that goes for everyone. Boy, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And yet you are a missional God. And you entered in, in flesh and blood, in the incarnation, as the Word became flesh. As Jesus Christ, our Lord, you came and you walked on this earth as a single man. And you ministered and you lived a perfect life. And you willingly went to the cross where you died for our sin. And you didn't stay dead. And you conquered death. You defeated sin. You rose from the grave. And you call us into relationship with yourself by faith. And God, we grab hold to that. And to the fullness that it is to know you. And to the promise that it is to come to know you more fully. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here who's never taken that step of faith, God, that they would see that you are their treasure. You are what is valuable. And that you love them so much that you came for them. And that you would call their name, you would call them home, and that they would respond with faith. God, thank you for this gathering, for being a part of a local church where we get to love one another and display the glory of God in this very place. What a privilege. May we go forth as people who are faithful to the call to follow you. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.